Sorry, give me a minute to get set up here. Okay, all right. <clears throat> good morning, good morning. Um, I just want to say uh, a quick thank you to the worship team, quick thank you for uh, AV team. Um, we're kind of uh, we're kind of running our, our backups this week, so thank you, uh, Santan, for coming up uh, and joining us in PE. Um, <clears throat> uh, I don't know if you guys know Brian Wong, um, but he was a pretty big part uh, of this church a few years ago, and um, today he's or no, yesterday he got married. So um, he was a huge part of our congregation, and um, a lot of us a lot of us uh, went down. Michelle, Calvin, Jackie, Gordon, Julie. Uh, I think the other odds as well. Um, evidently, uh, I was not a good enough friend to get an invite, but <laughs> it's okay. I forgive you, Brian, if you're listening. Um, <clears throat> no, I'm very happy for him. He 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 went uh, back to his home, Arlington, Texas, and really. Uh, got to is living two dreams now. Uh, I remember he actually uh, met Louise and I at the gym, um, the CMU gym, um, and we were working out together. And he was kind of talking about relationships and kind of his ideas. So it was really cool to see it come to come to fruition. And I, I hope, hope and pray for him. Um, also that he uh, accomplished his dream of being Officer Brian now. Um, but congratulations to him. Congratulations, William. You guys next week. Um, We'll miss you, but uh, just so happy to see you uh, join in this wonderful covenant that God uh, created. Um, <clears throat> but uh, if you would stand with me, please, as we read today's scripture. Oh. We got it? All right. <clears throat> Second Timothy 4, 6 through 8. For I am already being poured out as an offer, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me, on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, you have called us to run to you, to seek you first, Lord. I pray that we are faithful to that, that we see that you are worthy of all our efforts, all our endeavors, all our strength. you bless this time. May it be holy and glorifying to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Um, <clears throat> so uh, for the past uh, six or eight weeks, we've been doing a discipleship series. We've been talking about um, what it means to be a disciple. Um, and kind of the, what we started with was Christ is our discipler. Um, he is our example. Uh, he also, how to train disciples, he, he, he teaches that as well. Um, and so we've, we've been going through, I think, the past eight weeks. Um, we had Pastor Bucknell, we had uh, my father, we had uh, David Lee, um, and Gordon have kind of been leading us to discipleship. Um, <clears throat> and um, I, I hope you've been moved. I hope you've been moved to seek the Lord. I hope you've been moved to um, really become a disciple um, to find a mentor, to seek someone out, to, to uh, watch over you as, you as you continue to grow in the faith. Um, 
So we've been kind of going through this image um, as you spiritually grow, as you mature in the faith, the, the different things that take um, place. And so today is, uh, today is the conclusion, or today we're wrapping up our discipleship series. Um, next week we're going to be starting the Gospel of John. Um, so ACFers, I apologize that you guys are kind of coming at the end of it. Um, I hope you can still, um, I hope this still, uh, like, I hope God still speaks to you through this. Um, but yeah, we're, we're finishing this series, and I, I was trying to, um, I was trying to think of a good way to summarize everything that went forth and kind of pushed us forward. Um, and the Lord uh, led me to this passage in Second Timothy, and it's, um, it's, it's a convicting message. Um, it's not one that uh, I'm merely preaching from a point of authority. It's one where I have uh, learned a lot, and I've been convicted a lot from this message. So I hope you don't think it's um, me. Uh, as one preacher likes to put it, if he's ever pointing the finger, there's one at you and there's three back at myself. Um, so I, I hope this doesn't come as condemning, um, but I, I do pray that we're convicted to really um, seek after Christ, to really um, go after him. <clears throat> so we start uh, this passage in 2 Timothy 4.6. Um, 2 Timothy, just to add a little context, um, Paul was imprisoned in Rome for several years at this point, um, and he's 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 expects his death. It says, for I'm already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. So he's, um, he, he, he sees the, I guess he sees the light at the end of the tunnel. He sees that his life is coming to an end, and he, he writes this, uh, he writes a couple letters to Timothy, um, kind of as a final encouragement, final exhortation to, to Timothy to really um, go for the gospel, to, to, to continue um, continue this good fight, to continue this race. Um, and he is, <clears throat> he's being spent. He's being spent. You, you see it in, for him already being poured out as a drink offering. I think a lot of times when we think of, you know, that classic phrase, Christian phrase, running the race, you know, run the race set before you. We like to think of, you know, a, like a 20-yard or 30-yard sprint. Like, it, it's pretty easy to look excellent for for that short of distance. But for Paul, when he's imagining this or when he's using that phrase, he, he's really saying it's like, it's, I'm, you know, for me, it's like running a mile. It's, it's exhausting. I barely make it to the end, right? So, so Paul is just kind of, I'm being poured out as a drink offering. He, he, he's, um, he's, his life has been spent on the gospel. He, he, he is barely finishing um, the race. And one thing that's interesting is, is in this book, as he sees his death coming, as he is suffering from different ailments, and he, and he knows he's going to die soon, he actually asks Timothy to bring books and parchment to, to, to study God's word, to, to read of it up until his last breath. Up until the very end, Paul was just obsessed with the gospel. He loved Christ, he loved the cross, and he wanted to write and continue studying up until his death. Um, <clears throat> so he, he's being spent, he's being used. Second um, Timothy four seven. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Um, the verbiage uh, I, I really like, and I think. Um, Timothy was kind of like a, a disciple of Paul. He calls him a coworker, a young coworker. Um, but he, 
I, I like this verb. I don't know if it just comes on my guy, but he uses it in First Timothy as well. You know, fight the good fight, finish the race. He uses, uh, I would call them uh, masculine terms. I, I don't mean to demean anyone, but I think, you know, guy to guy, that's the stuff that gets us going. That's the stuff that drives us. It, it is um, fighting for Christ. <clears throat> and so he says, I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Um, and as, as we begin, or as we are concluding uh, with discipleship, um, I, I want to start with this point. I want to start um, and kind of ask ourselves, what convinces Paul to, to do this? What convinces Paul to pour himself out as a drink offering? What convinces Paul um, to spend everything he has for the sake of the gospel? <clears throat> right, if you think about Paul's former life, he was a formerly a Pharisee who persecuted Christians. Um, he was very advanced among, among uh, the Jews, among the Pharisees, right? He says in Galatians that there was no one like him at his age, right? There's none like Paul, that he was very zealous for the gospel, and he, he advanced very quickly, right? You, you can imagine very yourself, he, if he continued on that path, he'd very well be celebrated, very well, you know, could have had a lavish and wonderful life. Being celebrated by the Jewish community as, as one of the heroes of the Jewish faith. Right? But he decides to, he decides to trade that in. <clears throat> and for what? Why would he fight the fight? Why do you finish the race? Um, in 2 Corinthians, he goes over everything that he he um, Everything that he suffered, the, the laboring, the, the beatings, the imprisonment, um, <clears throat> the false imprisonment, how he's beaten with rods or whips, how he was stoned and thought to have died, right? He was mocked, he was slandered, he was lied about in the, court of, in the Roman courts, in the court of law. He was shipwrecked three times. He suffered hunger, insomnia. What would convince someone to make this trade? Like is, anyone, is anyone seeing a good trade? I could, have been at the, I could have been at the height. I could have been at the peak of the community. I could have had it. And he decides to trade all of that for, for a life of suffering. Now, what convinces Paul? What convinces Paul to, um, to do such a thing? He tells us in, in verse 8, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. <clears throat> so why make this trade for that crown, for the crown of righteousness? And um, this passage can be, kind of tricky at times because it looks like, it looks like, okay, if you want this crown of righteousness, you have to work for it. You have to give everything for your God, you have to give everything for the gospel, everything for God, and he will, it, and the, verb, the Greek verbiage is correct, it says, award you, in a sense, you've earned it, this crown of righteousness. And, and, and immediately, you're thinking, well, no, Paul, that doesn't make any sense. Like, remember what you said to the Ephesians? For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works. And so I think, just to clarify really quickly, all these efforts, all this um, traveling, all, everything he does for the gospel is simply 
faith speaking. It's simply visible faith is what I like to call it. Works are visible faith. Um, All his efforts is simply his belief. They reveal his belief in the gospel. Right? And when, when we, all, we all have this. We all have this really simply. All of us here believe in gravity. Right? All of us here got dressed this morning. We put shoes on right, to walk. None of us have any doubts about that. Right? We got dressed so our, our clothes fall down. We took cars or buses, things that are very reliant on gravity, to come here. Right? And Right now, as I peer out, no one's wearing a helmet just in case we all end up, gravity gives out and we all fall into the ceiling, right? All those actions speak of your belief, our belief, in gravity. It's the visible belief, it's the, it's the, the works are the visible, it's the visible faith of um, what we all believe. So Paul, in his works, is not trying to earn the gospel, it's not trying to Uh, achieve this crown of righteousness, but it's simply uh, a confirmation, a visible, uh, or what is seen of what he believes, which is the gospel. So, to Paul, to Paul, the crown is precious. This crown of righteousness is worth it. It's valuable to him. Why? What's, what's so special about this crown? What's so wonderful about it? Why would he trade a, a wonderful life to become the stench of society in a lot of ways? Because Paul knows if you took, if you took everything he did, if you took all of Paul's works, all of his sufferings, in a way of reparations, right? You've suffered this much for the gospel. Okay, you earned the crown. Paul knows if you took all of his works, all of his achievements, everything he's done for the kingdom of God and how far he came for God's gospel, if you took all of that and stacked it up as high as you could, as high as you could, you would never measure up to the crown of righteousness. You would never earn it ever. Paul, we know that Paul was the hardest working uh, apostle in Galatians. He says it. I've worked harder than, than all the others by the grace of God. If you took all of his works and stacked them up and said, could I have a crown? Not even close. Not even close. Secondly, Paul knows. Paul knows how he can have that crown. Paul knows what it took to have that crown. And that it took, it took <clears throat> the Son of God dying on a cross. That's why he can have that crown. Because he knows no matter what he does, he couldn't possibly earn it. But by the grace of God, he sent his only Son to, to be judged and cursed on the cross so that he could have this crown. To Paul, the crown is precious. 
It's worthy of all things. Forsake all things. Forget whatever, whatever career I was on. Forget what I might have. Forget all of it. I want this crown. I will trade all things for this crown. I will, I will, I will suffer for this crown because I could never earn it, but someone did. Someone perfect earned it for me. So he freely gives. He joyfully gives his life. So as the first thing I think we see is, is the crown precious to you? Is it wonderful? Is it worthy? There's a book um, called The Cross by Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. And he talks about how the apostles were just obsessed with the cross. That he couldn't, you couldn't just take a glance at it. You couldn't just read about it and be done with it. That they gazed upon it. That they gazed upon it in awe, in wonder, in worship. Just how wonderful and great, how loving our King is. Is it wonderful to you? Before, I mean, before we go through training, before we go through working ourselves up, you have to start here. You have to start here. Is it wonderful? Is it precious to you? Do you value it? Is it worthy? If so, if so, are we running? Are we really running after it? if, If I go back really quick, Paul says, henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord will award to me on that day, not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. This isn't just a Paul and Timothy thing. This isn't just a minister thing. This isn't just, you know, the, the, a priest thing. This is everyone. This is everyone who's been sanctified and redeemed by God. We're all called to run. We're all called to move. Paul uses a similar verbiage in um, <clears throat> 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9.24 says, um, do, you not, do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Run to win. Run, persevere, strive. Are we striving? Are we running to win? Paul continues in verse 25. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Is this on? Okay, sorry. Um, So uh, whoever made this logo deserves a raise awesome. Um, But the Olympics are coming up um, next year. They're going to be in Japan. Um, And I want you to uh, imagine for yourself the Olympic athlete. Imagine for yourselves um, what what their lives have have been dedicated to. So a lot of them from the ages of what, four, five, six years old, begin training, right? They begin, it's it's innocent, it gets them in the sport, it teaches them discipline, but they begin this regimen, right? And they, as they continue, as they progress, um, they do more, right? More time is taken out. More time is dedicated um, 
<clears throat> to, to maybe winning a medal, to win, maybe having this wreath on your head, maybe called a champion. And just think about all the things that change. Once, once they start to get serious, we'll, we'll say post high school, right? Um, they, they develop a, a training regimen, an exercise. That, you know, they, most of their day or they have a specific time of day that's dedicated to training um, for the Olympics, for this goal, right? Not only that, but their diet changes, right? So, so you can't just, you can't eat how I like to eat. <laughs> you have to change things. You can't carbo-load anymore. You have to, to become lean and faster and quicker. So, so not only do they take a part of each day to train, to rest, but their diet changes, how they eat changes as well. And, and for a lot of them, for a lot of them, um, they find a job they find a job purely to support, purely to support their Olympic dream. They find a job that gives them enough time, enough availability, so that they can continue to train, that, that they can continue to rest, that they can continue to eat the right things. Their, their friends change, their environment changes. Right? All these things take place for the Olympic athlete. Their goals change, their mindset changes, right? They, they think differently than us. And this goes on for years. And years, training, in season, out of season. This goes on for some, for decades. For this one goal to, to, I don't mean to belittle, but to run down a 100-meter track. Right? Or, 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 or any of the like. That's what they're committed to. Their whole life is revolved around this thing for for a wreath for, for a crown, for, for a medal, right? Something that comes and goes. Paul's telling the Corinthians, he's telling us, shouldn't we do the same for the crown of righteousness? Shouldn't we do the same? Shouldn't it be on our hearts and minds? And, and again, just to go back to, I don't want us to get to think that we're earning this, but we're just so obsessed with the cross, we're so obsessed with salvation that we have to run. I can't help but run. I can't help but go after God. I can't help but love Him and give all things for Him. Shouldn't we do the same? If they can do it for temporary Glory, can we not do the same for eternal glory? There's a famous, um, I used to work as a, a strength coach at, at my school, my university. Um, and the head strength coach liked this phrase. <clears throat> you fail to plan, you plan to fail. You've probably heard that before. You fail to plan, you plan to fail. Um, <clears throat> Do you have plans for God? Have you, have you made plans? Have you tried to regiment yourselves? You know, in, in life, we love to plan, especially in the Western culture. We love to kind of see our trajectory, see where we should be going. I remember, uh, you know, in high school, I had to take that, um, I forget what it's called, but like it, it essentially tells you what your job should be. Right? I forget what exactly what it's called, but you take a, it's like a different personality test. I got a nursery worker. I'm not sure why. Um, I took it again, still got a nursery worker. Um, 
love the kids. But um, that was, you know, that was in high school. And in college, I remember my first semester, I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but my first semester of college, they said, you need to plan out the rest of your courses for your four years here to graduate. So that was like one of the first things I had to do when I got to college was figure out how am I going to graduate, figure out the next four years, five years of my education. Right? We're, we're people who love to plan. Um, Louise and I uh, recently got, of, got, got rid of student loan debt um, and feels great. Um, but now, now we're thinking, now I'm thinking as an adult, you know, all those wonderful things. All right, so we can save some money now. Do we save for a house? Do we save for a car? Do we save for my potential future education? Do we save for Louise's education? What about the kids' education? You know, and just trying to divvy up all that money evenly and fairly. We love to plan as, as a culture. Right? And if I were to ask you guys, most of you probably have some kind of plan, right? some kind of trajectory. I'm doing four years here, then I plan to go here. I enjoy this, and maybe I'll do postgraduate school. We have all these plans. Do we have plans for God? Do, do you have plans for God? There's this, um, there's this convicting illustration. <clears throat> convicting illustration. It goes, it goes a little like this. If, if, I were to hand, if I were to hand out, you know, little, just a small white sheet of paper, right? <clears throat> hand out a small white sheet of paper, and on this piece of paper, I just want you to write, this past year, what were your plans to grow with Christ? What scripture did you want to dedicate to memory? What sins did you want to put to death? What plans did you make to grow in the gospel, to, to, to chase after this crown? And after that, you can put what you did to take place, what, what you did, how did you train to memorize scripture, who held you accountable, <clears throat> so that to ensure that these plans took place to ensure that I'm running this race, to ensure that I'm being trained for the gospel. And on the back of that sheet of paper, I want you to write your future plans for the gospel. I want you to write, <clears throat> I want you to write what are your plans for next year to continue to grow in Christ, to continue to put sins to death, to continue to input yourself in the body of believers, to continue to fall in worship and awe of the cross. What plans do you have? For some of us, that would be a blank sheet of paper. I've got to be honest, outside of my profession as a pastor, I don't know how much I would fill out. Are we making plans? It relates to the book of Malachi. <clears throat> Malachi is speaking with some of the local priests. And, and he says, he, he's... he's displeased with their offering. God is displeased with their offering. And he says to the priest, would you offer that to your governor? Layman's terms, would you offer that to your employer, that sheet of paper? Some of you guys are looking for jobs and you're being interviewed. And a common question is, you know, what are your plans? And typically you can rattle something off. But if you were to give that blank sheet of paper to your employer, what would they say? You have no plans or no goals. 
You've had no plans or no goals. If we fail to plan, we plan to fail. Make plans for him. Make plans for him. And I, again, this is not, I'm not, you're not earning the crown. You could never earn the crown. But he is worthy. He is wonderful. So let's plan. Um, four R's of discipleship. <clears throat> four R's of discipleship. Let's make a plan. First R is release. Release. Let go. Hebrews 12, 1. Louise was reading this morning. Let, you, let us lay aside every weight, everything that hinders, and run a straight line to Christ. Put aside everything, not just sins, but things that could become sins. Right? Lay aside your idols. <clears throat> so what do, we, what do we lay aside? In my life, <laughs> Gordon's not here. I think he would chase me off stage if I did this, but... Growing up in Pittsburgh, I loved the Steelers. I played football in high school. I loved football. I was obsessed with football, right? Um, and didn't, didn't realize it, thought it was okay. Um, but it really was an idol. It really was an idol. And if you want a quick measurement of what, you know, if, is this an idol or not, just, you know, does, ask it, does it affect your heart? If the Steelers lose to the Patriots again, does it affect your heart? <laughs> truly, truly, because I was like that. I remember in 2010 when we lost the Super Bowl. Oh, that was a bad week. That was a bad week. I had an idol, right? And, and God ensured, God put it in place that I would remove this idol. First and foremost, he put me on the West Coast. It's hard to watch a Steeler game at 10 a.m. when you're supposed to be in church and not get caught. Secondly, secondly, he gave me, a, a, so I was there for oh, four or five years. Five, six years? Doesn't matter. Uh, so I, I got accustomed to that. I got accustomed to just not watching the game anymore. There, there were steps that I had to take as well. Um, but secondly, he gave me a wonderful, beautiful, loving wife who hates football. <laughs> and you know, you know give, give her credit, because God bless her soul, when we started um, dating, and she knew I loved football, she started watching football. She started studying football. She, she got, like, a rule book or something. She was trying to figure out how it works. And for years, she put up with it. And she said, I just hate it. It's just terrible, right? So not exact, I can't exactly live in communion with my wife and still have this idol. God ensured that. God made sure I got rid of this. What are you holding on to? Now, football is not, football is not a sin, right? To play football, I can, I can watch football now, and I, I don't really care. I mean, if they win, good. If they lose, oh well. It doesn't, it doesn't affect me nearly as much. What do we need to release? What do you need to get rid of? This first one, release. <clears throat> Second one, regiment or reschedule. Um, <clears throat> do, we, do we have a, a daily task to plan for God? 
Do our, do our plans involve daily training? Right? The athletes train every week. If they suffer an injury, they are still training. Right? They're still studying. Um, so <clears throat> this is, um, for those of you who don't know, I have three older brothers. And uh, we're actually lining up in alphabetical order, which is great. Uh, Adam, next to me, this was my brother Bart's wedding, Bartholomew. Adam, Bart, Caleb, Daniel. Um, I thought it would be easier to find a picture of us, but it was really hard. <laughs> so this one is a little um, to my brother's discredit. It makes me look like I'm def- like the biggest by far. It's, it, I think the angle was tilted or whatever. Um, Daniel's the tallest, um, and then it's like kind of a tie between me and Caleb. Um, but Bart, Bart's the smallest, for sure. There's, there's no debating that. No picture could fix that. Um, <clears throat> but but um, I want to talk about my oldest brother, Daniel, for a minute. Okay, so it was really, I, was, I spent way too long just trying to find a decent photo of him and myself. <laughs> um, I thought with modern technology and Facebook it would be easy, but no. Um, <clears throat> so Dan, I want to talk about my brother Dan. He was a particularly hard worker. Um, he was, in high school, he was a full-time dedicated student. He was, I mean, he's the golden child of our family. You know, he went to Princeton on scholarship, lives in D.C., you know, wonderful life. Um, but anyway, <laughs> anyway he, he, he's, the, he's like the golden child. In, in high school, he was very dedicated. He's very, very dedicated to his studies. He's a full-time student. He would go to school, much like us, seven hours a day. As soon as he got home, he would go to studying for a few hours a day, for a few more hours, and then go to bed. Right? Completely dedicated to the studies. Completely dedicated to his work, and it paid off. <clears throat> now, another thing about Daniel is that he was a swimmer. He was particularly an excellent swimmer as well. Um, All-American, race Michael Phelps, yada, yada, yada. Um, Now, Dan Dan would, actually my dad, would get Daniel up at four in the morning for practice. All right, school started around eight o'clock. So before every school day, I'm looking at UI efforts, before every school day, he swam for three hours. Every day, in season, out of season, during the summer, he swam three hours every day. He was a full-time student, fully dedicated, and still found three hours at the beginning of each day to commit to swimming. Not only that, after school, he would swim for three more hours. For so three hours in the morning, three hours in the evening, he was dedicated to swimming. He was training for swimming. Six hours a day for years. For years. And he, you know, to his credit, he was, he was an excellent swimmer. He's a wonderful swimmer, and you know, he, I, I love him as a great brother. Reschedule. Do your plans involve rescheduling time for God? You have time. Maybe we have to revisit release, but you have time. The, <clears throat> the statistics for pornography is particularly depressing. Inside of the church, outside of the church, not much a difference. 
between the church and church leaders, not much of a difference. Are you regimenting yourself to protect yourself, men and women? Are we protecting ourselves? Do you make it daily, pray daily to protect yourself from lust? Pray daily to remain faithful to your current spouse or future spouse. Are you regimenting yourself? To regiment, reschedule, you have time, make time, make plans for God. He's worthy, he's beyond worthy. Next one, redefine. So I don't... I don't have a, a great illustration for this one. <clears throat> so there, there are things that you can definitely release, um, but there's things that need to be redefined. There's things that need to be reordered. Right? So if I were to, let's see, my phone, keys, wallet. Right? It's essentially, essentially my life right here, right? It's essentially what I own, what I need, day in, day out. How do I redefine this? You have to imagine with me. I didn't think through this illustration. But right now, I'm the only one that holds this up. Right now, it's dependent on me. It's reliant on me and my strength to hold up. Right? I can only go so long. I'm kind of strong, but I can't hold this forever. What needs to happen is I need to place these things on the rock of Christ. Something that's everlasting. So am I redefining are my finances? Is my work and entertainment? Is, is my, my voice of travel, is it reliant Is it fixated on the rock of Christ? So what does that mean really quickly? Let's put it here. Really quickly. In college, it can be really easy to just define yourself as I'm a communications major, bio major, or by your job. I'm a professor, engineer, doctor. That's what I do. So in redefining it, you Focus it, it's reliant on Christ. So, <clears throat> why are you studying comp sci? Because I want a job. Right? That's, that's an easy answer. Why are you studying comp sci? God gave me an interest in programming, and I'm not sure why yet, but I know that he's preparing a place for me. I know he's preparing a ministry for me. And that's why I'm in comp sci. Because I feel like God called me to it. Do you see how it changes? I pray, ACFers, I pray that change takes place. You don't just simply define things as I'm this or that, and then I'm a Christian. But may all be founded on Christ. May all be focused on Christ. And lastly, lastly, <clears throat> Resources. Fixed up that library, 
hats off to everyone who helped, especially hats off to everyone who um, put the books on the bookshelf because that was incredibly confusing. <laughs> we haven't reordered that in like decades. But resources, use resources. Use books, use studies. And I think most importantly, use people, use God's family. The enemy loves isolation. He loves to, hi- to have you hide it. That's why I think pornography can be particularly rampant. It's, it's easy access and it's easy to hide. It's easy to put away. So what do I mean, mean by that? Uh, Jacob, would you come up here for a second? <clears throat> Let me see how strong you are, Jacob. So we've, we've done this thing before. Um, it's kind of like a... a, a one-on-one um, tug of war, right? So we clasp hands like this, and we set ourselves. And right now, no offense, Jacob, you're, you're strong, but you're still like seventh grade, right? So right now, who's going to win? Jacob? <laughs> Jacob, should we do it? Should we do it? Oh, come on, you bowl. Go ahead, go ahead. Is that really? Okay. All right, so to prove a point, If I'm the enemy, I love this. I love this. One-on-one, I'm fine with that. But if Jacob's family were to come up here. Okay, got to Okay. And if Jacob's family were to assist him, so you just like hold him by his arms or whatever. (laughs) Right? Now I got it. Now I got it. Okay, okay, don't actually pull me. All right. (laughs) Now I got it. All right, give him a round of applause. Now I got a problem. Right? Especially with sin. Especially with sin. It's so easy in isolation. The enemy loves isolation. If you are willing to be vulnerable, if you're willing to confess sins, if you would seek accountability in this family, you will have victory. I promise you that you will have victory. Our God is faithful. Use your resources. <clears throat> so I know <clears throat> I know today sounded a lot like work work work, right? Go go go, work work work. For the glory of God. You know, I, it, I, I hope that isn't the only message. Again, I refer back to the very beginning. Before you start this regimen, is the cross precious to you? Is it wonderful? Is it, wor- is it beyond worth of all things? Because that's what Paul said. That's what Paul said. He said, forsake it all. Forsake whatever I could have been. Whatever kind of pharisaic celebrity I could have been, I don't want it. I don't need it. Just like when Jesus was talking about the parable, the man who buys the field or who sells all his things to buy, the field, to buy a field with a treasure in it. Right? Is it precious to you? Is it worth it to you? Is it wonderful If it is, if so, make plans. 
make plans. He is worthy. You know, a lot of this comes from my conviction of, from the Lummi mission trip, which was an awesome, wonderful trip. I was tired. You know, at points I was aggravated. Love you, wifers. But, you know, I was tired. I was aggravated. All these things. But I had a sense of purpose. I had this wonderful belief in being on missions, this wonderful sense of the gospel. And I thought, why am I not living like that in Pittsburgh? Now, obviously things, you know, you have families, kids, work, all those things, absolutely. Release some, redefine the others. But we're called on a mission to expand the gospel, to grow into Christ, to, to, to fall in wonder and worth, and fall in wonder and awe of that cross. That's my prayer. That's my prayer. Let's pray. Um.